Hello? Hey. Great, you're here. <clears throat> Hello there. Excuse me. <laughs> hey there. It's a lad, Ice House. And today we got another guest here. State the I name. I am Galvius O'Ryan. Awesome. Thank you, Kylan, for coming to the igloo that is the Ice House. And uh, today, we're going to talk about American politics and what they might be in the future. So, Galvius, how about you give us a piece of what you think the future might hold for our politics here in America? The future of American politics in regards to... Wait, wait. Which... I'm so sorry. Uh, sorry, I kind of went a bit too fast. Um, uh, how about uh, giving, introducing us a bit about yourself, uh, Galvius? Oh, yeah. Uh, so... I'm Galvius. Um, I'd say I am a relatively politically and historically interested person. I like learning about the way that politics work, history, etc. By no means would I consider myself an expert, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But, yeah. Uh, also, I come from the great state of West Virginia. Um, if anyone listening is from there, hey. <laughs> but, yeah. All right, uh, back to what I was asking. Um, uh, so uh, give us a bit of what you think uh, the future of politics might be in the States. So um, the future of politics in regards to which direction specifically it is heading, like whether to the right or left, is relatively uncertain. However, there are there is one thing that is consistent regardless of which direction it's heading. It's that it's probably going to get more extreme and probably going to get more messy to say the least like uh we're talking ira messy or syria messy um honestly it's a spectrum you'll probably see both by that i Oof. mean like already in regards to like ira kind of messy we're already sort of seeing the early stages of that you know i i think you've heard of um both the, uh, like, whenever the uh, capital was stormed, which while there weren't really any deaths besides uh, one of the uh, people who had entered, or I'd assume you've heard of the uh, BLM riots that occurred over the summer of 2020. Yeah, uh, I hear about that, uh, both of them. Yeah, those are kind of like the early stages of that. I mean, there was actually, and I feel like this is something crazy that people just completely overlook, or kind of just forgot about because so much happened in 2020. I mean, you know, we both lived through it. Yeah. It was a crazy time. But it was um, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, more commonly known as CHAZ. Or where... CHOP, because, you or know... Uh... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> where they changed the name. But um, regardless, though, literally a part of the United States... Uh, f uh, granted, a few city blocks in a major city um, essentially seceded from the United States and created a sort of anarchic government with warlords, which some of which were actually SoundCloud rappers, funnily yeah. enough, and vigilantes. And, and then the news just completely overlooked it or called it a block party. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been following the whole chast and chop thing when it happened. I follow the like, Discord. I watch any video relating to it. And uh, two um, black dudes in a car were shot at from the area, from what I remember. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, there was other th cases of, for example, people breaking in and you all said people demanding money, etc. from tenants, which were just kind of stuck there because and don't forget and don't forget that time they tried to grow their own shit. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, um, you know, the like they actually couldn't grow anything like they started to starve. And they started to, you know, lose power and water because the bills weren't getting paid. And so the city of Seattle actually started to bring in porta potties and food for the people who were declaring independence, essentially, from the United States. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be... I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, imagine if, you know, during the Civil War, the Union came down to the South and brought food, clothes, rations because, I don't know, they had a major crop failure or something. <laughs> yeah. And if a crop failure happened, I guess the slaves are out of the work then by that point. Oh boy. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, though, I think yeah. this is the early stages, though, of those sort of IRA-style conflicts, and I think as the economic situation worsens, and when I say worsen, I mean worsen for mostly middle- uh, or I should say upper middle to lower class income ranges, as that worsens, you're probably going to see significantly more conflict. Yeah, I mean, if people can't afford food, they'll just have to end up affording guns now. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, gas. Uh, I think you remember whenever they... I mean, the gas prices are still about two times more what they were prior to... Uh, you know, the Biden presidency, whenever the gas prices increase significantly. Um, however, they have gone down recently. But yeah, whenever the gas prices were really high, you saw there was a significant amount of like worrying and unrest. And, you know, the government's kind of trying to patch over that now by saying, hey, look, they've gone down. But one plus three minus two is still double what you had before, basically. <laughs> yeah. I imagine all the big truckers and volowers and. All those big tank folks that have to go. I was thinking of getting myself a truck when I get a license. Now I'm thinking of getting a Fiat. <laughs> like uh, like you the know, old 70s Fiat. The small one. You know what? Word of advice, get an older car if you can. Because here's the thing. If the United States were to ever have an EMP attack, for example, and I know that's very specific, or more uh, up-to-date now, um, if the government wanted to shut off your car, for example, which, by the way, after 2025, the government is requiring remote shutoff in your car. Best bet is for you to get an older car where it doesn't have that much electronic equipment. Yeah. Like, if that's something you're concerned about. Yeah, because uh, when I mentioned Fiat, I mean Fiat. Like, you know those small little cars yeah. from the 70s? Yeah, that's what I'm probably going to get. Yeah, if I mean, I, get the I, I can't blame you. But, um, uh, by the way, I just want to say, that thing about the government shutting off your cars, I'm not kidding, because that was actually in that omnibus bill that was passed a bit ago. A while ago, actually. I think it's been a few years. Gosh, time flies. But, yeah, yes. that thing had so much loaded into it that, like, most people who voted on it hadn't even read the full thing. <laughs> like, that's the that's another thing about politicians. They don't even read the shit they sign. That's frightening. Yeah, I, I mean... That's just American politics for you now. Realistically, it's more so about marketability than being effective most of the time.
I mean, obviously, you know, being effective does help you get elected, but the, most people don't really see some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, they really don't care what you do do. As long as you make the other side get angry and fussy, that's pretty much all they'll applaud for, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, on the topic, you know, since you asked me about the possibility of civil war, I'd say it's a possibility, not within the next year, or, you know, during 2023. 2024 now? Mmm, gotta watch the coast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, with the elections coming up in 2024, um, regardless of whether it's Trump or DeSantis running, um, you're gonna probably get the same result regardless. Honestly, I think there's a pretty good chance that Trump's gonna end up running with DeSantis as his VP on his ticket, just because polls poll data right now is showing that Trump is pulling the highest within the Republican Party in regards to nominee. Yeah, I remember uh, back that something like this happened back when Ted Cruz was still against uh, Trump. Like it was pretty much the right wing populist going against the um, status quo parts of the GOP. But now, as soon as 2024 comes, it's going to be that same right-wing populace versus... How can I describe DeSante? Is he like... Uh, DeSante, DeSantis, honestly, is kind of... He's pretty much just Trump, except he hasn't been president yet and doesn't have some of the baggage. However, I will say DeSantis seems a little bit more softer-spoken, I suppose, which... The thing is, is that Trump's main appeal to the Midwest as someone who, because I live kind of on the edge of West Virginia, so I'm kind of like on the edge of Appalachia and also the South and the Midwest, so I like really don't know what the heck I am. Uh, <laughs> hey, it makes... his, his big appeal, though, was that he talked like the people here, regardless of whether or not he is like the people of the Midwest, you know, the, the Rust Belt nowadays, I almost said Steel Belt. <laughs> um, he talked our language, you know? He talked the language of the Midwest, and that's really what won him the election in 2016, and I'm not even going to talk about the 2020 election because, you know. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the elections, uh, not to get sidetracked here, but did you know some of the houses... Um, in certain states, try to vote some some of the third party parts off the ballot. Like Democrats in the GOP, literally work together to get the Greens out of Texas. While the Democrats got them completely removed from Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's kind of crazy when you think about the effects of independent parties. Because you know, if yeah. in an ideal world, you should support independent parties. The unfortunate thing is, is that we do not live in an ideal world. And if you look at the statistics for most elections, a vote for an independent party is usually just a vote taken away from, you know, the party that you agree with the most. Kind of like, and no offense to the libertarians, I, you know, do have some degree of respect for their movement. But voting libertarian is just going to, you know, generally mean that Democrats win more elections statistically. If, you know, you don't want them to. <laughs> yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. But, um, uh, mm, I'll only vote once. And that's the only time I'll mention in this um, thing again. But, um, uh, on the part that um, uh, you said that people are going further left and right. I gotta ask, what part of the left or right? We're talking the top part of the compass or the lower part? 
because I've been really seeing a lot of right-wingers, at least some on the internet at least, tend to bend either to the back-to-blue USA type stuff, while others go, um, I don't know, still venture down to the uh, lib-right part. And when left-wingers, well, I can't figure out what part of the compass, but I do know they're going straight left. Yeah, so in regards to this specifically, um, I feel like you can kind of divide up uh, the left and the right Republican and Democrat parties into a few different factions. So in regards to the Republicans, you kind of have this coalition of um, businessmen, you know, nationalists, and on top of that, also, you have a lot of other traditional institutions, such as religious figures, and then you also have the elites uh, involved in that. And now working class Americans, too, which makes this inc an incredibly confusing party, to say the least. Like, because essentially, in this case, you have the, you know, more labor class, middle class, um, blue collar workers nowadays. Like, they used to be a pretty big chunk of the Democratic Party. However, ever since, you know, jobs got shipped overseas because of globalization, most of the labor class, and when I say labor, I'm referring to manufacturing blue-collar work, as I said, shifted over to the Republican Party, which we really saw manifest with the election of Trump in 2016. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. But basically, you kind of have this internal divide where you have the sort of nationalist, uh, militant Republicans, which are kind of uh, leaning towards the labor side, however, still have loyalty towards the um, elite business sort of side of the Republican Party, you know, which you can generally describe to be libertarian Republicans or ne or even uh, neocons to a degree. Yeah, neocons. Uh, but they also have this kind of like almost uh, love for the labor Republicans as well because of that classic American vision of the blue collar worker who's able to take care of his family uh, on his factory wage and, you know, get his kids through school, that sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, like, the reason, though, that they've switched in regards to that labor class is because it's kind of shrunk. Like, the middle class, in real terms, as to the bedrock of the middle class laborers, has actually shrunk. Like, less industrial jobs by the millions, etc. Ever since the 90s, really. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, interesting to hear. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is at the present moment. Like, you're seeing a very real shift in America, which is very dangerous in regards to the shift in where wealth is going. Because essentially what you have is you have the traditional stable middle class jobs disappearing. Which essentially means you're either going to be doing... Uh, poorly or pretty well off, which that sort of economic inequality, to be blunt, kind of does produce a significant amount of unrest. Like, that's the difference between now and the Depression, because in the Depression, everyone suffered equally. It really didn't matter how wealthy you were. Your wealth probably got obliterated during it. Yeah, things like the welfare um, stuff and food stamps were a thing yet 
I mean, the great person's reason why those things I just mentioned even exist in the first place. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in this case, though, it's like you got Bezos, you got Musk, whose lives also due to... For a second, I thought my computer shut off. Uh, <laughs> whose lives also due to yeah. social media, very important. Social media is a big factor in this, and I'll get to that. Uh, Probably. Hopefully I don't forget. Um, you're seeing them living these incredible lives where they're literally sending people to space and starting their own space companies. Um, whereas you, the common American, generally are, you know, working office job or a service sector job, which in real terms, those service sector jobs, you aren't going to make enough money to realistically do anything significant or, you know, afford just a bit more than what you need. Yeah, and uh, and um, uh, a lot of stuff why I mentioned, but first, um, the recent one we we're just talking about on the basis and media part, a lot of these people also, you know, have uh, something of a fan base and a anti-fan base type thing. <laughs> like, those billionaires with their money, they should be sharing it with everything else. Most of their families be like, yo, bro, that could be me one day. Pump in my crypto, bro. <laughs> Let's all go financially to the moon. And that is why I think both are wrong. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, but my personal opinions aside, the thing is, is that what social media has done here, but also in the third world, kind of, and I'll stop on that sort of train of thought because, you know, we're talking about American politics right now. Yeah. Social media allows you to see the lives more visibly of the wealthy and affluent. If you were, for example, a, um, I'll just take my home state, for example, if you were a moderately well-off uh, shop owner in, let's say, um, Huntington, West Virginia, um, you know, you, you probably weren't living the greatest life, you know. You weren't living like those uh, wealthy investors in um, New York or something who's, who are involved in the stock exchange. However, you don't really read about it that much. You know, you live a significantly better life compared to what you had lived previously, let's say, as a coal miner, which I know the transition was hard to make back then due to the company towns, but still, yeah. the improvement you felt it and noticed it because it was ice. You were isolated to your community, even with the advent of newspaper. Now, however, let's say you are, you know, you grew up in a relatively poor family in a trailer park somewhere in the Rust Belt. And after that, you ended up getting an office job in uh, Pittsburgh. And now you're able to afford an apartment. What happens then is, you know, you're living a better life, yeah. However, you're seeing how well these ultra-wealthy people are doing, and so it makes your standard of living feel like crap, when in real terms, you're doing better. Yeah. yeah. Or, alternatively, it just magnifies it for those who continue to live in poor living conditions. Continues to magnify the feeling of the, you know, Wealth, I mean, I know this is kind of a leftist term, inequality that they have. Yeah. You know? And one doesn't have to be left-wing to, you know, see the gap and everything. Well, yeah, but, like, you've seen most left... 
left-wing politicians. They're like, wealth inequality this, wealth inequality that, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, we see it. No need to stay involved. <laughs> uh, and again, I wouldn't really classify myself as really either right-wing or left-wing in the American sense. Um, because, like, culturally, I'd say I'm pretty right-wing. I Like, that's something I will admit. Economically, I don't care. Just do what works. <laughs> like, the economy should work for the average American who puts something into it. Like, that's my opinion. You know, so I don't think, for example, that we should have, we should socialize everything. However, I'd be fine with putting some caps on the prices that colleges can charge realistically, because the only reason they charge that much is because of the loans, etc., that the government has been giving to students since they essentially forced banks to give them exorbitant loans to go to college, which created a feedback loop where colleges were like, hey, we're charging 60000 The bank will give you a $60,000 loan now. Where am I going to get $60,000 from? Uh, you're not going to make it back, but you'll get a loan from the bank. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a very weird situation where essentially social media has essentially made people feel just worse about their lives. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you know, in, however, social media also allows for something else that's important to the increasing polarization in the United States. Communication. Because, you know, uh, have you heard of Telegram? Yeah, I, I heard of the site Telegram. I've been to Telegram. Yeah, uh, Telegram, for example, is a very prominent network. It's based out of the United Arab Emirates um, and, ha and is actually incredibly encrypted, so all of your chats are private. Like, and by heavily encrypted that all your chats are private, I mean literally the Taliban uses it. Oh, Christ. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, first it was uh, Xbox Live calls during Fortnite. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. I mean, that's how they used to communicate, actually, because it was like, you know, U.S. government at the time was like, huh, huh, why would anyone use the Xbox Live gaming calls to communicate? Now they're just constantly monitored. Um, <laughs> yeah, I gotta be careful what you say in those Xbox Live chats. This is where I P.S. No one can find out what I'm saying. But yeah, like on um, Telegram, for example, you have, you know, Antifa private networks, uh, which Antifa is in real terms a terrorist group, regardless of your opinion on them. They do the same actions and operate as a terrorist group, and there is a structure there. It's not necessarily the most hierarchical structure, but there is a structure of command there and communication to organize. It's not just some disjointed thing where these spontaneously form, like from leaked telegram messages that have came out. Like most of the stuff is organized. They're like, hey, we're going to go here, etc. And then you also have people funding them to go on planes. However, I'm not going to name those people because uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it get this censored on Spotify if I mentioned uh, you know who? I don't know, but to be on the safe side, maybe don't. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I literally don't know what you're talking about on this part because I never heard about this, but um, I think to be safe, we could just. Uh, well, do, maybe better not. safe than sorry. Uh, yeah. That's the statement I live by. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
I mean, obviously, don't avoid taking risks, but, you know, better safe than sorry a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, though, like, and also, I mean, you don't just have Antifa on there, you also have, like, actual neo-Nazis <laughs> organizing on there, too. Like, yeah, they have essentially an international organization, like, their leader is in Russia. Uh, he's been there ever since he left the United States. And they've been kind of really, like, it's kind of shocking how much of a following they've been starting to get, especially as, like, more young white men across the West, I guess, for lack of a better, you know, term, get disillusioned with society because of the way that it's becoming, and how, if you look at, for example, the college admission system, it's kind of starting to work against them in a way, like with affirmative action and quotas. Like, Man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that you should become, a, you know, that because you're disillusioned with the system. I think neo-Nazis are really stupid for obvious reasons. Yeah. International neo-Nazis. How does that even work? <laughs> Telegram. Like, seriously. Um, like... Like, it's kind of crazy. Like, they have branches in, like, anywhere from here in the U.S. to frickin' Australia. <laughs> Man, I was, I was going to make a diversity joke, but uh, I'm not sure if it's going to sound funny or even work. Eh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, only way to find out is try, but, again, I don't know Spotify's policies. <laughs> Uh, same either like it just this recordings on anchor we get disputed across some uh, other places but uh at least the places i chose but um uh yeah yeah um but yeah besides the point um i'm just saying like the internet has allowed more extremist groups to organize and sort of get more extreme because you're essentially trapped in bubbles due to the way that the algorithms really I shouldn't say the way the algorithms work but essentially they create information bubbles where it's like the algorithm works to push you into a generally left leaning information bubble just because that's the policies that the companies support however a lot of people just end up going like ah uh disgusting and get more radicalized and then go over to you know like 4chan or something and then communicate on there where there generally aren't that many leftist people yeah i kind of been to oh i wouldn't say been but scouted places things like tumblr deviantart other social medias i mean most of the stuff that you mentioned that go to fortune usually remains in the uh poll category i mean everyone else they pretty much get shit on outside of that but um, uh, yeah i mean yeah poll category you know i'm just saying it essentially creates isolated communities on the right because they try to push them so far into the left-wing communities um but and also obviously it creates isolated left-wing communities just because that's what it gravitates to but, yeah, I mean, speaking of DeviantArt, I remember, you know, I was just looking at this flag I found, and I was like, ooh, I wonder what this other guy made, this other things this guy made. And I literally, like, I went back to the first frame, and I literally saw the transformation of a communist into a strasserist into a neo-Nazi. Like, I was like, what the heck? Like, just from all the flags he made. <laughs> like, dude. Um, hold on, someone's calling me. Ah. Hello, hello, hello. Hey. 
back. Uh, sorry about the sudden cut off. I got a phone call, but um, uh, you're saying about the uh, gravitational uh, pull of the left wingers response to the right being being isolated. Uh okay. <laughs> let me re- let me just collect my thoughts again. My apologies, man. Okay, so essentially what I was saying was that with how most online platforms are structured, your Twitters, your Facebooks, etc., they tend to gravitate people, or even, you know, DeviantArt and art platforms, Imager especially, uh, as someone who frequently uses it, um, they tend to gravitate you towards the left just based on how their algorithm is built. Uh, Also, same goes for YouTube essentially leads to more isolation of people on the left. However, also at the same time, people who might be moderately conservative or even moderate or, you know, also just more harder line conservatives, whenever they're pulled into essentially far leftism or see it, in general, what happens is go and create their own communities separate from these. So as I stated, you know, Telegram, uh, poll on 4chan, um, there are a variety of other examples such as private rooms in Discord, Slack, the works, etc. Anything that can provide that is either A, not exactly algorithmically based, or has a more conservative leaning algorithm, or B, private chat rooms, essentially means that you'll get conservatives which are also more isolated. Yeah. So essentially, and... it isolates both groups. However, in general initially more conservative or moderate people have more crossover with left-wing communities, which then drives them typically to the right. Obviously, there are some cases where moderates might be driven to the left, as an example, you know. But, yeah, I'm just speaking in broad terms right now. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and it's not just um, pulling them into their side. It's in different corners, because we got to remember... These factions, factions from factions, and some of these factions hate each other. Like, we all know the famous left thing, you know, tankies hating the ANCOM, oh, Stalinists yeah. hating Trotskys. People tend to forget about right wing interfight, like the atheistic um, right wingers or versus the Abrahamic right wingers and pagan right wingers. Or- or the more liberal right-wingers, too. I mean, you know, you see in a, a good degree of right-wingers, which are basically just libertarians. Like, literally, they're just like, hey, we don't want the government in the money, but also we don't want it in the bed or whatever, you know. Um, so there's also infighting there. Yeah, I mean, as I stated earlier, there's a good degree of infighting on both sides. And the Republican side tends to get overlooked or overemphasized depending on which media company you're looking at. And the same goes for the left, where it's kind of like, for lack, again, lack of a better term here, generally more progressive leftists tend to be used by the establishment left as useful idiots. However, the issue for the establishment left now is that the progressive left has essentially infiltrated the establishment because of the hiring practices at a significant amount of these like major media companies where they're like, ooh, we got a diversity hire and fire anyone who says anything moderately conservative. So essentially they've put people who realistically don't know anything about how, oh, hey, we're just manipulating the system to gain power 
into these positions of power, which is now negatively affecting the establishment left. Yeah. Yeah. The rebels of yesterday became the stars core of today. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I'd go so far as to argue that I don't think there is exactly a uniparty on the ground level. However, definitely on the leadership level, there is pro most likely a, sort of basically a uniparty. Like, essentially, both have tried, parties have tried to expand their voter base that they pretty much lost all identity besides we want to have a bit more interference in the econ in the economy and we don't want to have as much interference in the economy. <laughs> yeah. Which I kind of Oops, I think precipitates what amounts to a political collapse since now you're starting to see that these movements are also becoming are becoming more socially inclined where it's like on the right you have, you know, obviously the more populist uh nationalist figures and on the left you got these more progressive globalist figures that you know are pretty much anti-nationalist like they aren't just globalists they're anti-nationalist um which is you know creating a lot of uh conflict to say the least <laughs> yeah like because i think that the statement that we have the same problems and different solutions like, in regards to right and left divide, is completely wrong nowadays. Like, there are completely different problems. Like, in regards to the left, it's like, ah, we gotta make sure that um, we put these kids who like pink on pills, which is sexist for hilariously. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. The whole issue of how in um, some states they're like, you know, without parental consent, they're like, hey, oh, we should be able to prescribe yeah, medication bro. to transition children who like pink, which again is like hilariously sexist for them. But then yeah. also on the right, you have issues like, oh, hey, we gotta, you know, uh, stop the uh, stop the gay in the movies, which I mean, I personally have opinions on that I will not share. Um, but yeah. I'm not gay, by the way. I'm straight. That's not what I meant by that. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm not gay either. Um, Two bros chilling in the hot tub. Might be a fun because we're not gay. No, oh, we gotta be six feet apart. Five feet apart is like kind of gay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Five feet I mean... apart is homosexual. <laughs> uh, oh, but yeah. Seven... Yeah. But yeah, though. Um, but, um, uh, on the parts. Sorry if I uh, feel like I'm rolling back. Interrupt me and to... ask me questions because that's what I want. <laughs> oh yeah, um, sorry that I am. Uh, yeah, I try to give more of a hands-off thing when I'm interviewing people, but uh, I will try to uh, try to say things here and there. But um, uh, on the part of uh, the factions within factions, part of the mention went back. I remember in the last episode I spoke to Horatio, American Firster. I met. And uh, we talked a bit about the beat between other right-wingers, especially between the um, Christian evangelical and Protestant parts against the other forms of Christianity and the ones that aren't even Christian at all, like the, um, uh, like the neo-pagan movement that's kind of growing and a lot of uh, right-wingers that really don't believe in one at all. 
Yeah, I mean, you got a good few, like, agnostics, too, on the right, which is weird, but generally they align with the Protestants, because they're like, hey, there might be a god, and we think it's probably your god if there is one. You know, but... Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's really weird, like, on the right, where you're seeing, essentially, what I'm out to... Sorry to the actual Catholics, um, Catholic LARPers, <laughs> especially on the internet, where, like, we are the ultra-cats, and if you are a Protestant, you suck, even though we agree on most issues. <laughs> like, yeah. It's some hey. of the most stupid infighting. Granted, you also are getting infighting now between the uh, LGBTQIA2 plus, 2S plus um, I think I said that right. Uh, yeah, they added 2 and S onto there. Uh, mm. <laughs> which, the 2 and S are actually the same thing. Ah, I don't want to get into that. It's ridiculous. And the feminists left because the feminists are like, wait a second. We don't agree with these people because they want to get rid of our, you know, womanhood, basically. <laughs> like, you know, it's like how the White House started referring to uh, mothers as birthing people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what uh, I think those folks are called tur turfs, right? I think it might be turf. I'm I, I'm not sure if that's a slur. I feel like that's a slur somehow. Oh shit, is it? <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, but honestly, uh, on the safe side, let's not say it again. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, like the reason we want to be careful because the ch the thing's been around for like what close to a year. We do get much episodes here. Like, I won't be doing risky stuff until we gain more of a bigger base. And stuff like a that. Bigger based, um, but yeah, I, I get that a hundred percent. You need a big base if you want to actually try to take on these big, you know. I shouldn't even say multinational, but like, I mean, Spotify's a multinational corporation at this point. These big you, multinational corporations. <laughs> yeah, you probably founded this via Spotify, but this usually uh, goes on Anchor. But I do have this like broadcasting in Mexico around place to place and stuff. But uh, I'll but explain more about it in the ad. By Spotify. Oh. Oh wait a minute. Dude, did you not know Anchor was owned by Spotify? It's literally Anchor by Spotify in the bottom left, right? <laughs> oh, Christ. I'm thinking of Google. I'm... Oh, I, right. The Google podcast thing. Google podcast. Yeah, yeah. I know Google podcast ain't by, made by Spotify, but sorry for the... Yeah. Yeah, it's just... Um, uh, uh, I originally had a Google podcast, but then I found Anchor. Oh, also, real quick, some of the most hilarious uh, leftist infighting I've seen is the fight between, like, leftists who are like, Yas Queen, or however they say it about the British, uh, about uh, Queen Elizabeth, who just died, uh, may she rest in peace. Rip um, the Queen. Rip. Yeah, I mean, you know, who are like, Yas Queen, and then you have the other on the left who are like, Death to the Colonizer, even though literally the Queen presided over the complete and total, basically, collapse of the British Empire. <laughs> yeah, she and she didn't pull uh, Portugal either, trying to keep it under control. No, I was just like, yep, you, you, you may go, you may go now, but stay a part of the Commonwealth, which is just a superficial thing that kind of exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, shout out to anyone who's from the from the Commonwealth. Uh, sorry for your loss and whatnot. Yeah, no, seriously, like, yeah, sorry for your loss. I mean, hey, granted, I've heard of things about, like, how, 
I mean, her her health and her mental state, you know, she kind of went into a decline after her husband died. So, you know, hopefully she's with her husband. Yeah, God save the queen, for she's in his kingdom now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, my throat's just gotten a little bit dry. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. I should have brought hydrated. water. Yeah, me too, chief. I kind of used that little uh, thing to grab a thing of suja. Um, uh, what is got suje? some water, though. But uh, Suje? Suje, yeah. Soda, I mean. Ah, uh, um, yeah, I, I drink like this thing I found at my local store. I don't know if it's anywhere else. Hopefully it is, because the stuff's awesome. It's called Bai, which B-A-I, which basically it's like a sort of a kind of flavored, you know, not anything significant. It's like those Mio waters you get. Uh, fruit drink that has as much caffeine as a full cup of coffee. Is and it like one of... Is it like one of those regional drinks, or I don't know if it's regional or not because I don't know how the heck it would be made in my area of West Virginia. <laughs> hey, those uh, mountains got some probably clean water. <laughs> uh, actually, statistically, we have the worst water purity in the entire nation. Oh, wait, worse uh, than Flint? Uh, well, not worse than Flint specifically. However, literally two thirds of our water is below FDA standards. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, and like there's and like there's like numbers in the tens of thousands of West Virginians that just period don't have access to water. Like seriously. No one ever talks about how Appalachia is the region of the country that realistically needs the most help. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, it's usually due to Appalachia area not being, you know, relevant in political matters. I mean yeah. Flint is relevant because, you know, it's a Michigan. flip county, flip Michigan. Yeah, it's like a flip, flip county there, flip right? State. Yeah, right. yeah, swing state. Yeah, which yeah. yeah, there's this interesting thing I've noticed. Um, by the way, uh, sort of getting back to politics and away yeah. from my need for liquid. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Which, by the way, if you want to take a break, tell me because then that can give me time to go down and run for water. But um. um which I should have during the break, but I'm a very stupid person. Oh, um, it's all uh, good. We can stop right now if you want to. Uh, I want to get to something first, like just going off the idea of swing states. So, oh, sure, yeah. Throughout American history, what you kind of had is you had the North, you had the South, and then you had the Middle States. The North was essentially an extinction, an extension of the English business class. Um, you know, the North has always been very mercantile, very... Uh, ship focused where essentially it's like they would have some of the you know greatest coastal cities and cities in the entire United States and actually the United in the entire world because the United States actually was like the 13 colonies I should say since they weren't the United States yet actually was the wealthiest area of the world yeah all the like all the like uh like especially in the uh um, the New England region with all the ports that usually go across the Atlantic to the Caribbean, hip-hopping in islands everywhere we're at. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't want to get on that tangent. But And then you had the South, which was based off of kind of the English aristocracy. And then you had the Middle Collies, which are kind of weird. Essentially, imagine, you know, it's just it's essentially Pennsylvania became the Midwest. Like... <laughs> That's what happened, basically. 
because essentially with Pennsylvania, and by the way, I know New York and New Jersey are middle colonies, however, they kind of lean into New England. Granted, southern New Jersey can basically be considered the Deep South in some places. <laughs> um, like, seriously, it's kind of crazy. Um, but uh, essentially, Pennsylvania was kind of this weird thing where it was like, they were hyper-freedom-focused, essentially. Like, especially with the Quakers, who essentially created Pennsylvania and built it because Pennsylvania, if you don't know, was actually the first place in the world to abolish slavery, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, wait, wasn't like Vermont though? I remember way back in the, in the American. Yeah. I know Vermont technically, however, also Pennsylvania didn't have segregation. Wait, did Vermont had segregation? Yeah, like, the entire South system of segregation was based on New England. <laughs> oh, shit. Mm. Yeah, I mean, granted, like, real quick, the black population in Vermont at the time at which they abolished it was literally, like, 300 black people, and that was it. Because the thing is, is that the New England colonies tended to prove very inhospitable for most um, sub-Saharan Africans just because of the higher latitude and the colder climate. Yeah, like, what the heck is a slave supposed to crop share up there? Pine cones? Well, I mean, wheat. But, <laughs> why did I say wheat that way? Um, wheat. <laughs> wheat, like how the British say it, or Stewie from Family Guy. Um, cool whip. Cool whip. Honestly, I kind of like wheat in a weird way. Wheat. Yeah. And this is coming from from someone from West Virginia. <laughs> um, but, yeah. That aside, though, um, essentially, it was a battle between the North and the South to say, hey, middle colonies, come join us! You know, or, or you know, North was like, hey, middle colonies, come join us! Where it was like, you know, there's a reason you have the kind of border states that either, you know, join the Confederates or stay with the Union. Like, you know, Maryland, for example, or uh, Kentucky. I mean, heck, you, do you want to know what uh, Southern Indiana and Illinois were called? Um, uh, During that time? Southern Indiana. And oh, Illinois. The Missouri. No, no. Not, no, wait. I think, I think I know the answer, but territory, right? Some kind of territory? No, 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 no. It, it was like a colloquial term for the region. Like, it wasn't a formal political region. Oh. Then like the Cotton Belt, etc. Oh, uh, Cotton Belt. Uh... But that area, though, was called uh, Little Egypt because it had a ridiculous amount of slaves for the middle of the country. <laughs> or mm. the north. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's crazy, Chief. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about, like, the fact that, you know, it wasn't just, like, the South, which had slaves. I mean, you had slaves, you know, pretty decently far north. Like, you didn't have it in, them in New England, really, or the free states. I mean, heck, the sort of little Egypt area died off whenever they started to abolish it there. Um, but still, some people kind of did illegally continue the practice, as was common, you know? Yeah, the crop-sharing system thing. Yeah, I was... mean, well... I meant, like, basically, literally just slavery, not even crop sharing where it was 
basically slavery. I mean, they literally did just basically continue slavery in this case. Like, yeah, until the whole weevil, 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 weaverbill infestation happened and messed up a lot of the cotton production down there. Yeah, I mean, you know, one is something hilarious. Yeah. So slavery was actually on the decline um, by the time of the founding fathers, and so since they owned a bunch of estates, they were kind of like, oh, we'll kick this down the curve to keep the country united. It'll probably peacefully go away. Again, you know, they were hypocritical in keeping it, but still, you know, yeah. because... And then Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin to and end then slavery. Sla no, no, he yeah. invented it to end slavery. Oh, yeah, I know this. it just this, made like... it more efficient. <laughs> yeah, I actually was in the middle of recording with someone else and I mentioned that first. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's... But, yeah, essentially it's been this eternal battle between the North and the South for the middle. Ever since the move out West, this dynamic has completely changed. Now, since the move out West, what's essentially happened is that you've seen, effectively, the disillusion, almost, of the North into a greater urban identity and the South into a greater rural identity. Where nowadays in America, what you don't see is a north-south divide, you see an urban-rural divide where the suburbs are what you're fighting over. Yeah. Which has and... completely changed the dynamic. Which, if there is a civil war, it's not going to be one of those, you know, civil civil wars where it's like, <laughs> oh, hey, California secedes. No, you're going to have, like, yeah, California will secede, but then the Valley region and Northern California are going to start doing terrorist attacks in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, that's a pretty extreme example, but, like, you get what I mean. Yeah, I mean... Like, it I would can... be Syria. It would be Syria, too. Yeah, hence back to the IRA level or Syria-type level of deal. And, yeah. um... Uh... I think yeah, we're and... going to see throughout 2022 and 20, or throughout the remainder of 20, I should say 2023, and then into 2024, we're going to see IRA level type conflict. That's what we're going to see. Because yeah. the thing is, is that after those elections, if the Republicans gain a majority in the House, I think they'll actually try to impeach Biden. I, I know most people are like, oh, hey, they don't have a spine, really, which for the most part, that's true. But so, if you've been uh, seeing the, if you've been following most of the primaries and you've been seeing who's been winning, it's generally been Trump's candidates that he's been backing who have more of a spine. So mm -hmm. I think what's going to happen is that I think they're going to try and essentially take revenge on the Democrats for impeaching Trump three times. Was it three? Hmm. It might have been two. I think it was three. Uh, well, the third time after the whole uh, thing at the White House. At I the mean, Capitol. Yeah, but um, uh, but that's the thing. When Trump was like impeached the first two times, um, uh, also, um, can we maybe just take a few moments of silence because today is officially nine eleven now. Oh right, yeah, let's um uh, do that.
think that's a minute. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. I yeah, did not sorry, notice. I just noticed. Yeah, uh, I just, I just noticed it was like 12.03. I'm like, oh my god, it's 9.11 now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that aside though, um, where were we? All right. Yeah. Uh, something, something. Oh yeah. Primaries. But yeah, a yeah. lot of Trump's candidates that he's backed have been winning. And in a lot of the areas where they have won, generally they're polling higher than their democratic counterparts. Oh, uh, obviously there's Pennsylvania where it's contested because I want to be honest, the best thing that ever happened to that candidate was having a stroke. The Democratic yeah. candidate there, who's uh, running against Oz, um, because essentially he's now able to play the sympathy card. Like the vote for me, I had a stroke, and then Oz um, kind of was just like he was a little insensitive about it. I, I mean, I'll be honest. Granted, he shouldn't be using it the other candidate as a crutch to win because his policies are stupid. Eh, you know, I shouldn't be going into my own political opinions, but. Uh, that's all right. He's essentially using it as a crutch for his own campaign, by and large, like to try and get more moderate people to vote for him, because they're like, "Oh no, the 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 guy had his stroke. We should vote for him out of sympathy." Like that's not how politics is supposed to work. You're supposed to vote for people out of policy. Yeah, I mean, I see how you guys are uh, kind of upset that he had a stroke. I mean, who wouldn't? But um, uh, um, has policies before we do something like that? Please. Yeah. Like, that's the important part here. Uh, but, um, getting back to it, though, with um, everything that's been happening, if the Republicans do gain a majority in the House, I think they will definitely try to impeach Biden, based on just all the things that have been coming out that, again, I don't think I can mention on here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I think that'll just only make things more extreme. And, also, uh, you've been hearing about uh, how Texas is essentially sending illegal immigrants up to uh, New York City that cross the southern border on buses. Yeah, I I used to hear stuff like that, like back around, I don't know, 18 or 17. But um, uh, this is another, this is, uh, I, it's been a while since I heard that, actually. They're still doing still, that or something? Oh, it's way more. Like, they've been doing it a lot recently. You know, obviously all the immigrants, I shouldn't say immigrants, um, illegal aliens, have been uh, signing the forms that they require. Like, it's like, essentially it's like, hey, sign here if you agree to go on this bus. So, you know, they're sending the illegal aliens to the uh, sanctuary city, which kind of makes sense since they're the ones who voted for the policies. Um, but I feel like we're going to just see more extremism because it's like, what you're doing is essentially introducing, like, and I think this is the extent of what happens whenever you introduce, essentially, these populations of foreign non-naturalized non-citizens to conservative communities along the border, especially, you're going to see some clashes, and you're going to see, you know, more extremism, because it's like, oh, hey, they're basically kind of invading the country, almost. Obviously, not intentionally. They're generally trying to escape you know, the lives that they had. However, it's not the burden of America to shoulder, especially at the expense of its own citizens. Yeah. I can see something like that, yeah. 
Like, I mean, you know, if you legally immigrate here, then that's a different story. You aren't being a burden on the country, you know. Uh, mm. Again, sorry for getting into my own opinion. It's um, all right. That's just one issue I just really take issue with. Um, yeah, usually when it comes to, like, my time, I guess cause that's a good time to really drop up into the border thing. Okay, so you know about uh, states' rights, right? And uh, states should be looking at their own state matters, right? Yes. Like, uh, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like a national concern with the border. But I always wonder, what if we just let the states that border Mexico or or states that border anything like that just handle it themselves? Uh, that'd be unconstitutional. Oh. Yeah, it's actually in the Constitution, because essentially what you're dealing with is interstate, international travel. So that's actually a national matter to deal with. Like, within the Constitution, it's specifically outlined as one of the things that the federal government is responsible for, on top of also naturalization processes and processing new citizens. Um, so... Yeah, that's actually unconstitutional. Uh, it was crazy when I found out. I was like, oh, this explains a lot of the stupidity I've been seeing. <laughs> yeah, like, can you imagine Texas, California, Arizona, New Mexico, and... Wait, are those the only states that border Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, can you imagine those guys come up with their own laws of their immigration from that place? Well, what you'd see is Arizona initially would be like, hey, yo, you, you can't come in here because, you know, obvious reasons. New Mexico, being a bit more liberal, would be like, hey, y'all, come on in. Uh, but not too much, though, because, you know, we want to make sure we don't got any illegal drugs coming in. And then you have California will be like, yes, the drugs. And then you'll have Texas where it's like, no, no. Just no. <laughs> no. Uh... Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, back to our type of American politics and uh, well, that is like, American politics. Oh, my bad, sorry, Chief. Um, uh, no, 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 no. But continue though with what you were gonna say. Um, what do you think? What do you think the um uh, international community will um see once the U.S. uh has this eventual a uh, collapse? Because you know the United States has been like a big player in a lot of international stuff and with it gone who knows the what world the collapses yeah literally the united states protects the world's shipping lanes without the united states the shipping lanes of the world fall into anarchy you will have mass logistical breakdown africa will just become a giant warlord zone basically and india i think isn't gonna do that well but china also isn't and honestly you know Hot take, I could see Russia enduring that just because they're so disconnected from the global economy already. Uh, heck, I could even see North Korea surviving. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. And then you'll see in Europe probably some weird revolutions. Like, you know, you'll see like Islamic revolutions in Germany. You'll see populist revolutions in um, like France. You'll see socialist revolutions in Italy, that sort of thing. And you uh, probably are... And you're probably going to see some royalist revolutions in England too. Uh, I I wouldn't play. I wouldn't hedge my bets on that. Uh, the thing is, is that Charles the Third really doesn't have any strong political opinions that would align with a revolution like that. Like 
I can't realistically see a sort of more liberal revolution occurring where they're like, yes, we need the monarch, you know? Like, because I mean, he's a bit more liberal. I mean, you heard about the rumors of how he was going to take up the title of Defender of Faith instead of Defender of the Faith. Obviously, he said no after everyone found out. He's going to take up the title of Defender of the Faith. So um, by the faith, it means like... so The Anglican by... Church. That, oh. That's Defender of the Faith. It's the traditional uh, British uh, title. Then what uh, does Defender of Faith mean? Like, religion in general, or...? Yeah, yeah, that's what it would have meant. Oh. Uh, because he's taken... He, he's kind of like a religious scholar, almost, and with what I've been hearing about how he essentially takes the... has taken these kind of secretive trips to Romanian Orthodox churches and to Mount Athos, I think he honestly might be, like, a closet Orthodox. <laughs> but that's just my own speculation. I don't think you should take that as fact. <laughs> oh, that's all cool, Chief. Uh, I mean, you know, just because of ha the rules for, like, the British monarchy and who can be monarch and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But, like, but uh, if one Rollist-type revolution thing did happen in England or anything like that, it'd probably be, a, like, I don't know, just making it an absolutist. But I'm uh, back to our thing about American politics, actually. Well, I just want to leave one more thing on the international perspective. America just essentially disappearing from the world is going to have a lot of implications. I feel like some countries will obviously try to intervene, but then problems at home will take them away. Like, we will enter into a dark period. Yeah. It'll be like something better will come out of it, though. Yeah. A lot of places that can hit revolutions have a Usually bad case of straight up turning to a dictatorship later on. But there's some cases that don't. Inevitable. Yeah. I mean, Just... they're inevitable in any society. The dictator can have a different title, like monarch or something. But every society is going to have a strong man that attempts to take over. Which might succeed. It has happened before in history. You know, so. Yeah. But, um, uh... Hmm. What else could we speak about related to American politics? What questions do you have? Hmm. I think we get this far, but um. Uh, oh. But uh, what do you think? What are you going to do when the um uh, eventual collapse happens? I'm going to go live out in the woods. In the woods. <laughs> there will be no property tax. I am fully well, capable of surviving out there on my own and making and getting my own food. I mean, even without the uh, government, um, there's probably a huge chance the government's too busy fine for its life to do anything like that. Yeah, I I'm saying, like, there won't be any property tax, so, like, you can essentially live the life Ted Kaczynski wanted. <laughs> uh, I think if this... I mean, I think if this happens, like, um, in my time, in, like, two years or something, and I'm still going to be with my family or anything, but... I'll probably hang around and try to defend them and survive and whatnot. But in case oh, yeah. I'm by myself, you know, I might, I don't know, try to fight or book it or something like that. I don't know. I mean, listen, if I if they won't leave me in peace, obviously I will fight. Um, You know, but if I can just, you know, live on my own, kind of ride it out, have a pretty moderately happy life, like if I can just, you know, be at peace, hike, write, that sort of thing. I'm fine with life. Yeah. But if uh, all else... 
Well, but if all like else, simplistic perspective, but yeah. Yeah, but if all else fails, I like like if all else goes nuts in the states, I might I don't know book it to the Caribbean maybe. I will say, alternatively, I become a dictatorial warlord and madman who inevitably creates his own downfall. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I find that highly improbable. I mean, I am thinking maybe getting my agor society going, black market economy, and you know, making How can that. It be a black market if there's no normal market. <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> like that's like essentially like if you said oh Walmart's the black market no it's the normal market <laughs> yeah yeah no, not just... Walmart very Walmart? important actually to American politics Walmart is super important okay I know this sounds I think, crazy I think I see where this conversation is going if American collapses so will its businesses and no, its no, international no, that... That's oh. not where at all where I was going. I mean, we kind of already talked on it, but oh. where I'm going with this is that so prior to the advent of Walmart and the everything store, as I'm going to call it, where you can essentially get anything you want. So like think like your Kroger's, etc. I mean, heck, even grocery stores now carry pretty much anything you can want realistically. Um, what you essentially have is the death of the ma and pa shops. Which, first of all, created convenience for many Americans because, you know, they didn't have to drive. They could just walk to the ma and pa shops. You know, these big general stores tend to serve, like, entire uh, cities or towns or regions, so it's like you can't really walk to them most of the time. So, essentially, what it did was it killed these ma and pa stores, which were also often a locus of the community where essentially, you know, they have like a dashboard that you can go up to, you know, maybe pin something on, maybe talk to them, say, hey, I need some help with this. You know, I'm doing a community service project, etc. And now that they're gone, it's like you just have Walmart where have you been to? I'll take it you've been to Walmart. Yes. Yes, I've been to Walmart. OK, good. Um, <laughs> or not, <laughs> I shouldn't say, but um, with Walmart. What you have is essentially, if you go in there right now, you can go in, get what you want, get out. I'm not going to lie, my Walmart, I regularly see essentially exchanges, which I'm pretty sure are drug deals, considering all the paper bags outside being picked up and put back down. Um, but essentially, you have this one in everything store that you have to drive to, which is very important because it essentially creates a disconnect from the communities. Now, have you been to a Walmart late at night? Um, a couple of times, and I want those to be the only times. Yes, I've been to a Walmart late at night many a time. The only way I can describe it is as Burger Punk, which is cyberpunk without the technology. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where essentially what's happened is at night you essentially have, you know, generally lower class people who are working these service jobs throughout the entire day because, you know, you can't exactly afford much with these service jobs. And now with that, gosh, sorry, I was just looking at something. Um, and now with that, you know, they have to go late at night. So it's essentially almost kind of created a segregation among classes. <laughs> Yeah, and you gotta remember, mom and pop shows weren't just the only thing Walmart killed. Walmart killed well the malls, apparently. Uh, Walmart did. Uh, 
Walmart worked in tandem with malls until it didn't. Amazon yeah. realistically was the thing that changed that to where Walmart was like, oh yeah, online ordering now. Screw the malls. Order from us. We deliver now. Uh, Man, fuck Jeff Bezos. He killed. Fuck Jeff Bezos. He kills. He killed Toy R Us. Uh, honestly, I want to actually. Here's the thing. I don't advocate for any sort of thing where it's like, oh yeah, we should take ev- all the monies from the billionaires because they're rich. No, that's stupid. However, I do think money should be taken from specifically Jeff Bezos because of just the sheer amount of negative political influence he has just based on his own personal beliefs. And the homie Toys R Us. We're going to use that money and build a grave for the homie. The homies. I, uh, but, I miss the giraffe. Yeah, I mean... A fundamental thing that you got to realize about the American economy nowadays is that it's becoming a renter economy. You own nothing. You will be happy. Yeah, and you will be happy. You aren't happy, though. You know that everything you own can be taken away. It's why we've seen a move to digital currency. I think Corona really did essentially expedite this process of moving to digital currency, which I got a question. Now, I know this book in many circles, is considered pretty unbased, as kids say. Um, but Cringe. have you read The Handmaid's Tale? Oh, <laughs> The Handmaid's Tale. Have yeah. Like I, I seen the Hulu, and, well, we were planning to read the book before COVID happened in my book club I was in, in high school, but um, uh, almost. I read the book. And it got me thinking. While I do disagree with many of the more, you know, feminist points and such that are made within the book, you know, obviously women shouldn't be property for obvious reasons. However, I do disagree with some things, mainly the, you know, points presented in regards to the, uh, the abortion issue. Um, but something very interesting there is that the only way that Gilead um, and the Sons of Jacob were able to gain power was after they made currency digital, where it was you paid with a card. Hmm. So they essentially were able to say, hey, you don't have a bank account anymore. I think that's where we're headed. Not in the Handmaid's Tale sense of they're going to be like, oh, hey, all women, you have no bank account. No, it's going to be like, hey, you politically disagree with this policy. Uh, we aren't going to, like, imprison you or anything because, you know, that would be undemocratic. But we're also going to, like, prevent you from surviving by taking away your bank account. Hmm. Which, is why like... I want to, which is why if we fully transition to digital, I'm withdrawing all my money from the bank in the form of pennies. Because then I can melt them down and sell them for more. <laughs> uh, That's illegal, I, actually. I'm just kidding for legal purposes. Yes, um, uh, Mr. Uh, agents and any federals listening to this, but, everything here is satire. Seriousness, though, pennies are actually worth more to produce than they actually are worth. Yeah, Chief Copper can get you a lot of things, but it can't get you love. Well, actually, it technically can. Really? Tell me. <laughs> I can't continue because it's illegal. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, uh, not going to that good. <laughs> um, but I mean, actually, though, being wealthy does increase your chances of getting married for obvious reasons because there are so many gold diggers. Um, 
Which, I mean, I'm not sure you'd want to be married to a gold digger, but hey, I mean, probably some perks. Yeah. There's probably someone's kink out there, right? Well, that's not what I meant by that, but eh, sure. Oh, I, I was just, uh, um, yeah, I was just, um, uh, what would you mention again, Ro? But yeah, though, uh, money, very important. Because once you're able to essentially instantly revoke someone's ownership of something, then you can control their lives and easily regulate it. I mean, already, like, algorithms are essentially choosing who you marry nowadays. Like, so many people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to go on Tinder. Or, you know, for people who swing a different way, Grinder. Um... <laughs> Yo, Tinder's a whole other place. Jesus Christ. Uh. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, actually, Tinder was made after Grindr. Yeah, you find a lot of weird people on Tinder sometimes. Some are cool, others are... Mm. I personally do not use it, nor do I use Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook. Literally most major social media besides, like, essentially private communities. <laughs> Which, I guess I'm proving my own point at this point. Um, I, Ice House, have no accounts. I I am not confirming I do or do not have any accounts with any certain medias. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, usually, you know, you'd link that sort of stuff, but eh. Uh, you know, your choice. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I know so many YouTubers which or podcasters which are like, ah, oh, yes, um... Follow me on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Um, but yeah, that aside, though, is it okay if I kind of ask myself a question to answer? Um, sure, yeah. So do you want to hear my thoughts on how the 2024 election could go? Well, yeah, I don't mind hearing it. So... Within the 2024 election, I kind of really see three distinct possibilities. The first two are more likely than the last two, by the way. I mean, the last one. Not last right. two. That would be four. Um, so, first possibility. Uh, and this is assuming that it's essentially uh, Biden or Harris v. Trump or DeSantis. Okay, you, it really doesn't matter who it is in this scenario. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, if Biden even, oh, sorry. I don't think he's gonna live that long. Yeah, I don't think so either. But um, we'll only to find out in a few years. Yeah, and Harris is so unpopular. However, I think by the time that Biden, you know, kicks it, it's gonna be too late to find a new nominee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Harris wasn't was like. I mean, like, I can't remember who that other senator was, that Hawaii woman was pretty much Republican turned Democrat. She was more just like than her. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, gosh, what is it with Hawaii? We got, like, Obama from Hawaii. Must be those pineapples. Bro, pineapple is good. I say this again as a West Virginian who, once the U.S. government and economy collapse, will never be able to get pineapples again. <laughs> hey, as long as they're not on a pizza, I'm all good. I don't really like pineapples in general. You see, I don't like pizza. Huh? I don't like pizza. Unless uh, I make it myself or if it's deep dish, I don't like pizza. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't be saying that here. <laughs> That's un-American. 
I also don't like McDonald's. Oh my god! Okay, I'm gonna need some proof. Makes me sick. I'm not kidding. I'm gonna need some proof you're from the U.S. after saying that shit. <laughs> Bruh, I'm not showing you my ID or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm yeah. getting no proof, but I am from the U.S. You can tell by the way I speak. Granted, I yeah. could just be a Russian spy or a Chinese spy. You never know. Um, yeah. <laughs> no matter yeah, where no, you are, McDonald's actually makes me sick. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, I guess in a way I can see that. Like, literally the smell of the breakfast food makes me throw up. <sighs> Some people got reactions to these kind of foods, fattening and whatnot. Remember when these things used to be, like, what, little shops you and the kids just go to after uh, a hard day work and just or, eat out with the dog? Or, or you and the boys after school or something. Yeah. Nowadays, that shit's breathless lunch and dinner. You know, we really ruined bread. Oh, yeah. Bread's really fucked. We said simple, simple bread. Now we got whole like, literally, literally, real quick, in, um, like, most American breads, they use chemicals that actually cause cancer. <laughs> Might as well grow a yeast farm at this point. Honestly, I mean, I'm just saying, return to traditional bread. If you can make bread, like, if you at home have the ability to make bread, you should learn how to and then make it, because it is so much better for you, first of all. And also, on top of that, it's a pretty good hobby if you have the time and money. Obviously, yeah. if you don't have the money, I'm not condoning you financially ruining yourself over bread. Um, <laughs> but, where was I? Right, 2024. Three distinct possibilities. Again, assuming either Trump or Kamala, uh, Trump, either Kamala or Biden, or Trump or DeSantis on either ticket. First possibility, um, Trump or DeSantis win. What happens is the Democratic states, like they threaten to in the 2020 election, um, secede. Like they literally threaten to secede if Trump won. And I feel like they'd actually feel fulfilled this promise just given how radical their populations have gotten and so what you'd see is that some areas of these states wouldn't agree to and then you'd see some cities in states that stayed loyal be like hey we're loyal to the democratic states of america and then you have the federal government which stays loyal to the republicans and generally the entire army etc will stay loyal even with the recent kind of purge that has been going on i mean good change in the next year i don't know um, because they've been essentially purging the military. Like, I have friends who are currently, you know, deployed. They've been pretty much doing a military purge where it's like, yeah, you have a Gadsden flag, boom, discharged. Yeah. I always and, like, hear a that. A flag is a pretty normal thing to have. Like, it's not some far political symbol. Like, I mean, the way... It's a yeah, historical I mean... American flag. Yeah. I mean, of course there are some... Set of the Confederate flag, but, like, in this case, though, it's, like, literally, ah, yes, do not bother me. Yeah, like, uh, it's all about the... the what's that term? Synthesis? Synthesis? Synonymous. Yeah, like, the guys was like, like, synonymous with Liberty 1776, or and 1760 the something. just like, no, you will have no liberty, <laughs> and you will be happy. Um, Despite the... Yeah... And uh, on the part of the military, we'll get her back. I'm always hear that when someone says, 
oh, our side was never going to be the government because the military will be your back, despite the fact, you know, um, most of our... But, uh, real quick. Um, sure, yeah. I'm sorry. Before you continue. Um, so, yeah, you'll have the majority, by and large, stay loyal to the federal government in a Republican victory scenario. And we will have a lot of cities, a lot of ethnic unrest, which will probably just lead to more racism overall in the U.S. Yeah. Like, I mean, I hate to say it, but you'll have, like, in the, in the uh, you know... Black Belt within the Deep South, probably a lot of South, probably a lot of guerrilla warfare, terrorist attacks, etc. Just because yeah, I mean, that's how that would play out, you know. I mean, people say that the Confederacy was going to be the Confederacy if the Civil War happens again, but I think it will quickly turn to some Yugos post post Yugoslavia type shit. Like I can see many Yugoslavia is pretty mild. <laughs> Like we're gonna be seeing some serious stuff. Like, cause at least it's at least it's post. Gosh, what was that I heard? I heard that too. Uh... But at least with a post Yugoslavia, you had clear ethnic lines that were mostly clear. You have Bosnia in the middle, obviously, and the issues with Kosovo. But you had relatively clear ethnic lines along which they broke up. Some in of them the pre. Some of them pre-existing. Yeah. In the case of America, you essentially have one of the most insanely patchworky maps of ethnicity just because of the way that cities essentially are like, hey, minority groups, come here. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing I could see to minorities having something of a state region would be probably Georgia and Southern Carolina because, you know, Back when people were during when the founders were trying to figure out what they do with the slaves, even if they are freed, was to pretty much partition the mostly populated of them, Georgia and Northern Car Southern Carolina, as a independent black state. Yeah, I mean that's a very interesting alternate history. I do alternate history, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. Um. Uh, but yeah, though, like realistically. Not really nowadays. Like, the only place that could realistically be considered a new Africa, oddly enough, would be D.C., where the population is majority black. Hmm. That's it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the black belt is just a line through the center of a bunch of states. So that essentially means that they couldn't really exist as an independent state. Like, essentially, like, Alabama would be Bosnia, where it's like, ah, yes, you have the Serbs, uh, which in this case are the white people in Alabama, and the Bosnians, which in this case would be the black people in Alabama, where it's like, yeah, the, the you know, Serbs are kind of split north to south, and you also have some uh, Hispanic minorities near uh, Mobile, uh, which I guess could be the Croats, and then you have <laughs> the uh, black belt that runs through the center, so it's like... <laughs> Alabama is Bosnia. Buy that t-shirt, <laughs> by the way. I have yeah, I've seen a t-shirt like that before. And it's not just the blacks and whites, either. We gotta think of the ethnicities and also religious stuff, too. Like, a lot of Catholics in uh, places like New Orleans and Florida. And speaking of New Orleans, we can't forget the Cajuns. Ah, the Cajuns, yes. I don't think they'll be a major political force, even in a Syria-style conflict. Like, generally they'll probably stick with one of the other states or something, or just with Louisiana. Um, but Again, yeah, that there's... aside, though, 
that's the Civil War scenario in a Republican victory. Now, Democratic victory, Civil War scenario, you know, Biden or Kamala Harris wins. You have mass unrest, probably mostly from the lower classes in these Republican states. And you do have some states officially secede. But by and large, it'll probably be a mostly grassroots movement. And due to the sheer amount of firearms that are owned by Republicans, obviously that gap is, has been thinning as of late, which should worry Republicans. Um, yeah. You're going to have potentially more popular revolutions in that case that aren't organized top down. Um, so essentially, you're going to have the countrysides be taken over by these Republican paramilitary and military groups. Which, speaking of the military, the military in the case of a Democratic victory is way more likely to split because essentially, yeah, the moderates and leftists will stay with them. However, the conservatives will probably decide to go to their own states and fight or just, you know, you'll have commanders, etc. essentially taking their squads, platoons, and giving them over to the Republican side in this conflict, which essentially what you'll see here is something far more brutal where the Republicans will probably just be like, oh, hey, we can't really make use of this major infrastructure, so we're going to just start destroying cell phone towers, phone lines, electric infrastructure, etc., because they can survive realistically and manage more efficiently without that than their enemies. And you'll essentially get, like, for example, the siege of Chicago just because it's surrounded by so many red counties where it's like, essentially, they'll just starve out Chicago by cutting off the water supply. And that's not even how in New York literally a singular pipe connects it to its main reservoirs which are entirely upstate like literally you get rid of that pipe New York doesn't have water yeah I kind of see everyone rushing into the Hudson Bay that there's no tomorrow things gonna look like that river in Delhi too but it's like essentially in this case what you have is a far more destructive conflict because essentially instead of cities where it's like, oh yeah, the federal government could easily just pick up these cities. In this case, the federal government is fighting a mass insurrection across entire rural sections of the country, which cut off entire areas of federal infrastructure and probably destroy them just because they can't use them. So it's like, hey, if we can't use it, then neither can you. Yeah, and these like, and then these people, they won't be like lone wolf. These people won't only just be, you know, groups connected, following things. Cause uh, some oh, yeah. attacks will be like lone wolf type shit. Yeah, I mean, you'll probably see like hundreds of Ted Kaczynskis, basically. Yeah, or maybe not the best example because not everyone can build bombs in their houses. I mean. And I mean, I just want to say the cookbook, if you know what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. all the measurements are completely inaccurate in that. So, like, don't blow yourself up if that's what you're thinking about getting. Um, I, <laughs> word of again, friendly advice. <laughs> again, any agents listening, this is all just speak of words. We do not own any. Yeah, uh, listen, property. I'm just talking about an Indian cookbook that I got. Yeah, we are. We, I, we are I trusting. I also don't have the actual cookbook <laughs> yeah we are just um talking about a very explosive curry uh, oh I in spices curry, in spices I, I love curry actually off topic like mm, i may be an american i may be in west virginia but i love indian food <laughs> i never had indian food before 
Ah, trust me. I mean, you're you're gonna like probably cry the first time you have it if you go to an actual Indian restaurant or actually use the correct amount of spices. But trust me, it's worth it. The pain is worth it. It tastes so good. Like it's not like American spicy, where it's spicy for the sake of spicy. It's spicy with flavor. Well, uh, don't want to give out the region I'm in, but uh, let's just say the crustaceans here are very spicy if you dab I some. know exactly where you live. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I'm somewhat kidding. Somewhat. Somewhat. I can guess where you are. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you go down to some of the more, if you go down to some of the cities, you'll probably find some Indian restaurants. Or Thai. Thai is also good. Um, yeah, I heard Thai is, uh, I heard, uh, I remember one time I had a live octopus once. Okay, I do not like seafood. Um, <laughs> I mean, your choice to like it. Um, but, yeah, ugh, I, I just really don't like seafood. Like, it just doesn't agree with me, and also, just don't like the taste of it. But, also, all the Thai restaurants are owned by the government. Yeah, I swear, all those chefs, they glow in the dark. No, actually, they're owned by the government of Thailand, basically. Like, they essentially train the chefs in Thailand and then send them over. Oh, like, shit. Like, I wasn't kidding. Oh, <laughs> shit, they actually do glow in the dark. Oh, no. Like, it's actually, like, essentially, they have these three different menu styles where they essentially are like, hey, pick from one of these for your restaurant style. You have, you know pretty localized diet uh, for the lower end style, you know, pretty cheap. You have the moderate style where it's like, you know, it somewhat adapts to local taste, but also is more authentically Thai. And then you have like gold leaf, I think it's called, where it's like, or elephant or something, where it's like, oh yeah, this is authentically Thai. This restaurant is fancy. It's going to be expensive, but it's going to be good. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like they actually just sell formats for Thai restaurants and train the chefs in Thailand. It was a massive initiative to boost tourism basically like yeah. per capita there's more uh thai restaurants than indian restaurants like per amount of thai people and per amount of indian people in the united states yeah that's pretty sorry. interesting to hear but um getting sorry? back to the third possibility oh yeah the third possibility i'm uh yeah my bad we should probably get back to that yeah third possibility regardless of which side wins both side regardless of which side wins the side that didn't backs down because they're like, oh, hey, we aren't ready to, and then we wait another election cycle before the Civil War starts. Yeah, pretty much a delay until things really blow but up. I think there's a high chance we'll get a Civil War. Mm. Uh, on I, the... hate to say it. I hate to say it. Yeah, no one wants to... As much as we have a disdain for the status quo... No one wants to go out that way. Some people do. But, um, uh... It's yeah. inevitable, though. Inevitable. All we can do is delay it until we'll slip up and we're all fucked. Well, but, all you can do is delay the inevitable, but the inevitable will inevitably come. And on the part of Kamala Harris, we say that the right will probably start paramilitary groups and find the federal government. We also have to remember that some Democrats don't like her either. I mean, I can see their uh, conflict with her being verbal or via laws or something like that. While the right and Republicans would probably have more of a 
physical against her because you know they'll be fighting agents and whatnot. Yeah, I want to say also within all of these conflicts, regardless of which side ends up winning the election, you'll still see extremist groups of those varieties. So in the Democratic uh, victory in the election that leads to a civil war, you're going to see like socialist uprisings in like the the left coast, as I like to call it, or Seattle down to to San Francisco, because I don't consider Los Angeles a really part of that because it's really weird and not exactly as like anarchic, I guess. Like even though it's like kind of a crap hole, it's not as bad. And we also gotta remember um crime too, because once shit goes downhill, it's gonna be a lot of crime going around. Both oh, um, a lot low, of looting. Like not just the looting time, like low organized crime and high organized crime. Like sh- places like Chicago and Illinois. Oh, you're gonna see a return of essentially mob or uh, when I say mob, I mean like gang rule, where it's like, hey, pay us a protection fee and we will protect you. So it's like you're going to see all these like mini governments popping up where it's like, you know, you have the official government of the uh, faction where it's like, oh, hey, you know, we rule over you all and we're going to collect taxes and stuff. But then you have these mini local level uh, like governments that could be like just neighborhoods where it's like, oh, hey, you know, pay us to protect you because the other government is busy fighting the war. Like kleptocracy. I think a kleptocracy might be a little... Kleptocracy? Might be a little, you know, pleasant. <laughs> yeah. I think it as that. Yeah. Like, uh, like, we, like, um, I can kind of see places like uh, Chicago and Detroit being swarmed by gangs and stuff. No, every major city will be, and you'll also see gangs, which will probably be calling themselves warlords in the more rural areas. I'm saying this is going to be a thing universally. Like, you're going to see these groups, I mean, and heck, they don't even have to be necessarily hostile groups. They could be, like, communities banding together, or they could be, like, these, or just ultra, I guess, politically enthused people. Because I don't want to say ultra-nationalist, because it isn't necessarily, like, ultra white or ultra black or just ultra nationalist it could be like you know like ultra leftist uh, socialist etc communes ultra progressives, and stuff. communes like yeah uh, in general you're gonna see a lot of uh people i'd like to call ultras which are essentially just their entire personality and reason for existing is their ideology yeah and uh what else was was i going what <laughs> What else was I about to say? Something about... Something about... Here, um, you know what? Is there any way we can maybe take a short break so I can go get something to drink because my throat is about to... It, it has been an hour and six minutes. We can actually just stop the episode here if you want. No, no, no. What were you going to ask me? I want to find out. Something about... Um, people taking advantage. Oh, I remember. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. If things do go downhill, I wouldn't say I will take advantage of something. But if an opportunity does come to the show, that way I end up in the top and nothing bad happens, I probably would take it. Like, would you take something like that? That's human nature. Yeah. Also, I have a list of every registered sex offender and pedophile in my area who doesn't own guns that are essentially free loot once it, the fighting starts. Yeah. Let me know. Like, they when can't you own get... guns, people. Like, just get a list. You can find those online. Like, seriously, their addresses, they can't own guns. It's like 
essentially the perfect way to get free loot once like the government collapses. Yeah, if we're going to start killing people, we should at least start. Actually, wait, let me not finish that. But all I can say don't is, don't finish that. But they yeah. deserve it. Yeah, helicopters. That's all I can say. Helicopters, yes, uh, helicopters like the ones the Taliban can use because you know they can read a manual and figure out how to fly a helicopter. People, you can't just leave it there and expect them not to use the helicopters, especially in one goddamn piece. Yeah, I also, you know, like literally the Taliban in Kabul started using the helicopters to hang people. Yeah. And let's like, not forget. Literally, it'd be like they essentially tie your neck, you know, with a rope, connect it to the helicopter, and fly up. Like, that's literally what they did with the helicopters we left there. Yeah, that's some crazy shit there. And let's not forget the OGs who did certain stuff with helicopters. The Chile. I will always look up to Pinochet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He was. Uh, yeah. I don't like that he was a pro free trade. I mean, it makes sense considering the entire country is a giant freaking line. Like literally know. mountains next to Argentina. They couldn't be exactly self sufficient, so I can kind of get why Pinochet was free trade, but I still don't like it. Yeah, Pinochet was a crazy motherfucker. I know Hop. Well, not actual hopping, but people who think they know hop, who will revolve around the whole helicopter meme thing, not knowing their asses would have been thrown out the moment the authoritarianism hit them. Yeah, I mean, realistically, Pinochet was better than the people who were there before him because the people who were there before him were socialists, which, if you know the track record of socialists generally within, South America and in African nations, for example, what they do is they redistribute the land to people who don't know how to farm it or use it, and then create an economic collapse because there's no property rights. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that to other people. Some will agree, some will probably put something else. Others will say something, something CIA, which sometimes is almost the case. But um, oh, it was the, oh, it's the case entirely in South America. Like, I mean, yeah, the, South America. Yeah, I will say, like, the socialist governments that were democratically elected there were probably democratically elected there. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that Soviet influence is off the table, but it probably is. Uh, just because of the fact that they were dealing with their own internal issues and generally focused on Asia. But even though these governments were democratically elected, they were only democratically elected because people were like, oh, hey, they're going to give me stuff. But then you don't realize yeah. the problem is if you don't know how to use that stuff, then why the heck are you trying to get it? And let's not forget how they're going to get that stuff because that stuff's owned by somebody else and he's not just going to willingly let them take it. Eh, I mean, if you point a gun to his head, he will. Or give him some money before you do. But, um, uh, you hey, that's not counting. You don't give him money in these scenarios. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you should. I mean, that's how compensation works. Granted, I also disagree with these scenarios entirely. Granted, I do think that we need to put an end to the renter economy in regards to houses, because, I mean, property ownership is a bedrock for financial stability and freedom. And so, you know. I remember a friend of mine whose father was a landlord. Okay. I forgot where this got part of the conversation was going, but I think it was about to be say something like 
go into, I don't know, landlord training or something? Yeah, I mean, I feel like landlords should be compensated, obviously, but, like, the really big landowners that essentially are just owning it to appreciate value and not actually renting it out to people, like, I think that should be confiscated. Like, straight up, I think that BlackRock and all these Chinese companies which are buying up entire neighborhoods in America, that should be confiscated. Like, I feel like any political group should be able to agree, hey, you know, like, these guys aren't selling it to anyone. They're keeping it like art to appreciate value. Yeah. Sorry to go it, off on a, another tangent. <laughs> oh, it's all right. Uh, sometimes breaking the mold and going through other stuff makes the whole thing uh, more entertaining and, I guess, the form of other things, because, you know, got no other stuff as well during these things. Yeah, so, any other questions for me? Hmm. Your political... Have you... Um, I don't know if you want to talk about your politics. If you don't want to, that's okay. But um, uh, I can talk how was well. how was your political journey? When do you start going to politics and whatnot? Uh, I really started going into politics um at a pretty young age. Um, in general, I was kind of like essentially a libertarian to begin with, because I was like, oh hey, people should you know live and let live and stuff. And then I was like, eh, maybe not some of these things, you know. Like, whenever I started to see in my own community where it was like, because my community, while being in West Virginia, pretty big manufacturing. And the more I went around town, the more I noticed, hey, why are there all these closed factories? And around them were all these poor neighborhoods. And then projects started popping up in areas that used to be pretty well off. Projects, as in government projects, that essentially kill all housing value in those areas. Um, but yeah, I was like, huh, what's going on there? And then I was like, hey, maybe, maybe this guy has a point, um, when he's like, hey, let's restrict free trade. And so, you know, then I was like, you know, I was kind of like a conservative, moderate conservative. Then I became a paleocon. And now after, you know, like just 2020 in general, and now I'd say politically, I'm just somewhere that hasn't really caught on, or I shouldn't say hasn't caught on in regards to current U.S. politics in the mainstream, because it's kind of a complex um, combination of essentially, on a social level, I would say I am very conservative. Like... I would say, you know, I'd probably be considered, like, hyper-conservative or just pretty ultra-conservative by a leftist um, in regards to social standards. Like, you know, I'm, gener I'm you know, pro-life, uh, for example. Uh, and yes, I'm fully aware to those of you listening who are moderately left-wing that illegal abortions do happen. However, I still think that the state shouldn't condone murder regardless because murder still happens even though it's illegal. And, yeah, I know that's a bit of a hot hot take nowadays. Um, but on top of that, though, I'd say, you know, I'm generally not for the public indoctrination of children into the 
gay or trans or in general sexual revolution agenda as I like to refer to it because it was essentially created through the sexual revolution by Freud and more importantly I forgot his name uh he's the guy who invented the term just give me a second to think um sure uh John Money who was essentially a New Zealand psychologist who pretty much uh, invented the term gender through horrific means that I actually cannot mention on here because they are so terrible and also, you know, they don't like it when people bring it up, but look up what John Money did to the two twin boys that he used for his studies. Um, sure, it's, I... I don't know who... It's some horrific stuff, like, it's pretty bad, so like, you know, don't look it up if you don't want to see that sort of stuff. Which I can get if you don't want to see that. I mean, I don't know who this John Money guy is, but as much as I want to look into him, I'll probably have to... Like, how about we talking up? Okay, maybe you don't have to say it, but, um... I'm talking like, literally, I would kill him before Hitler, bad. Oh, sure, I'll... I see, I'll... Especially probably... with the present-day effects he's had. Um, all right, but uh, is that um everything you wanted to mention, or is there like um, more um, you would also like to mention? Uh, more, because you know I can't just say I'm socially conservative and be done with it. Because economically, I'm pretty different in regards to that. And I will say, most of those views were shaped by when I saw someone essentially abused by their parents, and from a very young age, as a girl. They were told, hey, you're a boy, and wear these swim trunks and this swim shirt, and essentially forced to become a boy because their parents wanted a boy, uh, which was pretty horrific. But, yeah, that aside, though, um, economically, I'd say I'm pretty indifferent, I guess. I just think to do whatever works for the people. The economy should be working for the American citizen, not the other way around. Which I know sounds like kind of almost communisty. I don't mean it in that sense. You need to contribute to the economy if you want to make any sort of money. And on top of that, I do think that the capitalist system is the best way to manage things, a mostly capitalist system, just because the government can't account for every variable. However, the government should generally be protectionist. I do think that the government should actually essentially stop imports for the most part or not stop, but raise tariffs so high that it's impossible to import most things that we can produce at a stable rate, which, while increasing the price of consumer goods, also means that factory workers, for example, and the more common Americans will be able to purchase property, which is essential to maintaining your own freedom, and on top of that, maintaining your own independence and being a stakeholder within society. Mm. Also, on top of that, I do think, you know, for example, I think the government should do some subsidization of healthcare in regards to granting people greater access to that. Um, I don't think we should have an entirely socialized system. In Canada, for example, they recently legalized uh, youth voluntary euthanasia. And now there are reports coming out of these, you know, government-ran hospitals where the doctors are refusing to serve older patients and effectively forcing them to either A, stay in pain, or B, kill themselves. It's some pretty horrific stuff, and I think that the government shouldn't be able to have an involvement in that, because that's kind of where it would lead. Like, there is very much a slippery slope. On the other hand, though, I do feel like the government 
if someone is opposing, at, like, essentially the social fabric of the country. So, for example, a um, person I cannot mention who is funding these large migrant caravans you may have heard about, I think all of his wealth should be confiscated just because of how much he's affecting the country in regards to its social fabric. Now, I do want to say I don't believe in American imperialism. I think it's kind of stupid of an idea that America should essentially transpose its government into areas of the world where realistically it doesn't work. Like, in the Middle East works better with monarchies if the states of Saudi Arabia, etc. have show. And Iran is an exception to this rule, obviously. But the thing with Iran is that Iran's monarch wasn't really the actual monarch of Iran, and it was the British puppet. So, yeah, but I don't feel like the U.S. should be trying to control the world or whatever or transpose its government everywhere. And I think that other cultures should be respected as distinct from the United States. However, the United States should work to preserve its own cultural identity within its own borders. Because, you know, what works for one does not work for all. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that's my politics, generally. Hmm. That was amazing, Mr. Glavius. Glavius. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's right. a little bit weird uh, politically, but. Yeah. Galvius. A little mixed. Well, is everything you wish to talk about for this for this episode, Galvius? Uh, I'd like to leave the viewers with something, if that's okay. Um. Oh yeah, you can always say one last thing before we head off. Yeah. Go ahead. My advice to you is, things are going to get tough here soon. Okay, there's no denying that. You're probably going to see some fighting. You're probably going to have some people close to you, unfortunately, get hurt or worse. Work to protect them, but also work to improve your own community. Because once the dust is settled, it doesn't matter which side or ide ideology wins. What matters is the community, the place you live in, your friends and your families. Work to protect them. Work to connect your community. Work together. I mean, right now, work together to work on community projects in areas which might need them. You know, give to charity. Spend some time in nature. Learn about, you know, ways that you can be self-sufficient and independent from any sort of, you know, higher body or whatever. You know, learn other languages. You know, that can be useful in a lot of cases, you know. And don't just learn it in the traditional sense. Learn it to actually speak to other people, not just to read literature or something. Read it to speak and learn it to speak. Also, learn how to essentially live on your own. You know, learn how to farm. Learn how to make your own tools. Learn how to make a fire. You know, and this doesn't have to be something you have to do right now. You can just work on it on your own time whenever you have it. Just work to be an independent individual and work to help out your community with the skills that you have and the skills that you can attain. And work together with your community because one cannot stand, one is not an island. You're in a community and you should work together with those in your community to give it a brighter and better future. Things are going to get tough. But if you persevere, you can probably make things better on the other side. Thank you. That was Galvius Orion. There's your lad Icehouse. And remember, lads, 
stay frosty.